Well, good morning. Um, this morning we're going to endeavor to uh, finish the last few verses of chapter 1 of First Peter. Um, I, I just thought to, to kind of uh, open it up, I mean to, to begin this morning, we would look, uh, just take a, a, quick, uh, a quick survey of where we've been. In verse 1, Peter gave, his, of course, his, his initial greeting, and he spoke about the fact that, uh, uh, that, that he is, he's addressing the chosen, those who have been elect of God. They're, they're, they're believers. This is addressed, uh, of course, prim- to believers. And he expresses thanks for the new life that God has given in verses 2 through 3, uh, where he, he talks about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the fact that that election was, was based in God's foreknowledge before the, their, the foundations of the world, that uh, God put the plan of salvation into place before Adam ever fell. In fact, before Adam was ever created. Uh, it, it was from eternity past. God, God in his sovereignty has always been in control, that nothing surprises him. Uh, all of that can be taken away from that. He went on to, to tell us that, that we have, uh, that our, our redemption is based in, in the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and he asked that uh, p- uh, peace be multiplied to them. And, and then he goes on to, to, tell, to, to speak about the fact that we have been born again uh, to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which provided for us an inc- incorruptible inheritance, that is, one that is never changing, uh, never depleted, uh, always, always sustaining, if you will. Uh, and then he, he went on to say that, uh, that as a result of all of this, um, we can joy in trials because they prove our faith, they demonstrate our faith, and they result in praise back to us even. And then he goes on to tell us that that faith, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, w- that faith is uh, that that those of us today believe in Jesus even without having seen him, and that kind of demonstrates faith, and it causes rejoicing in the salvation that he's provided. He goes on to say that salvation is not something that was recent; it's something that even the prophets of old uh, searched to know to know the the uh, the the suffering. And when the crown of glory to Jesus would come, he also went on to say that they were, that uh, this this salvation is an inquiry of angels, something they know nothing about, but yet are intently interested in. He went on from there in verses uh, thirteen to sixteen uh, to to now having talked about this great salvation and the joy that it brings and the praise that it should bring toward toward our God and and all of the things that are involved with it that he spoke of and just these few short verses. And then he goes on to tell us, he, he goes on with exhortation. Then, then how do we live as a result of it? And he, he says that basically we are to live self-controlled, obedient, holy lives in review, in, in view of the redemption uh, that Christ has, 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 has brought. He tells us that we are, in verse 17, uh, that we are called to be as strangers on this earth. And, he, and he, then he reminds us again that it's the blood of Christ that redeemed us and, and that God has appointed Jesus as our mediator. He is the one who represents us. Is is the idea in verses twenty to twenty one? Uh, he tells us that he uh, he uh, he was before the creation of the world was revealed, and but he was revealed in our time. Uh, that that's that's part of this. And then we will look this morning at verses twenty two uh, through t- 
through 25, in which he is going to he's going to talk to us about uh, the truth of the everlasting Word of God. He's going to give us an exhortation to love one another based upon who God is. And basically, as we come into this text, I think the the primary theme that runs through this entire chapter is found in verses is is found in verses 14 and 15, and that's the basis for this final exhortation he is going to give in these verses where he tells us, as obedient children, not being form, conformed to the former lust uh, that, you, that, were in your, uh, that were in your ignorance, but like holy ones who, are, who called, but like the holy one who called you, the, the, uh, be holy yourselves also in all your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that holiness is the basis uh, then that he gives for all of the exhortation in this, uh, in, this, uh, in this passage. And that holiness is based upon the fact that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ and we are to represent him. And as he is holy, we are to live holy lives. That's the, that's the idea that's going to be expressed. So as, so as uh, we get ready to go into this this morning, I divided this text up. Uh, first, uh, verse 22 is the command, and verse 23, the reason, and verses 24 to 25, the contrast. So we will, we will look at that as we, uh, as we move through the text, uh, as we move through the text this morning. Uh, so uh, before we do, are there any prayer requests uh, this morning? Keep all them prayers. She came yeah. from her surgery. Yeah. The little lady that normally sits here in the front that's been kind of crippled up that had some problems last week, she mm-hmm. she, she had broken her leg. She fell down some steps, and mm-hmm. she's had problems with the surgery. They didn't get the, uh, they didn't get all the stuff they packed the surgery place with out of her out of there and it got infected so she had to go back in and and have surgery again that was part of the problems from last week that sent her blood pressure into a a tizzy i guess so anyway anyway she's recovering so you might remember her anything else this morning you guys can keep praying for rory um is the sixth grader um at our school so they were able to remove the brain tumor. They didn't get it at all. And it looks like at this point, not everything's totally in, but it looks at this point that it's benign, but they're not using that word yet. Just keep praying for her as she recovers. She's having to regain her speech and walk, and her right side is working, but her left side isn't. So it just takes a while for all of that to come to, back. To get back, yeah. Okay. She'll probably be in the hospital another week. Roger, can I ask you to open this this morning? Father, we come to you because we know you know us. Each of us really have prayers that we prayed already this morning asking you to forgive us and help us. Prayers have been mentioned here this morning on request for prayer and we lift that up to you. We pray for our church, Father, that each man here would stand for you. We know you are the way. Thank you for being there. We pray for this Sunday school class, asking that as we open the word, that we might see, we might hear, and we might adjust our lives to where we are doers of the word. Thank you for John leading us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning as we uh, as we come to this text, uh, I, I was kind of, as I was looking at this text this morning and thinking about 
the history I have known uh, in the church over the last, uh, I don't know, 45 years or so, uh, there, there's an old saying. It's not original to me by any means. I think it uh, has been around for a very, very long time. But it goes something like this. It says something like the, the fact that to live with the saints above, that will be glory. But to dwell with the saints here below is quite another story. <laughs> this text says that's not to be so. Uh, that's where we're going in this text. Uh, this text is, is, is about loving the brethren. That's uh, really where the text is going to go as, as he moves through it. So, as we get into it, uh, verse, 20, verse 22, the first part of it says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your soul for a love of the brethren without hypocrisy. And I'm going to stop there for a moment, because this is prior to giving the command. He's, he's, uh, he's saying here, uh, since you are in obedience to the truth. In other words, he's talking to believers. He's not, he's not calling them. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. He's not calling them to initial salvation here. He's, he's talking about who they are in Christ. They are obedient to the truth. That's what, he, that's what he's saying here. Uh, it, uh, it could mean conversion. However, I don't think that's what it means in this text. It's not about, it's not about initially coming to believing the gospel, but rather it's, it's talking about sanctification. Uh, obedience to God's command in daily living is really more the, the view that is going to be taken as we come into this text. He says, having purified, which is a perfect participle, which basically simply just means this, that it's an action that happened sometime in the past and it continues on in the future. Uh, that's pretty much a description of sanctification in this lifetime. We are continually being purified or sanctified. That's, that's the idea that Peter's, uh, Peter's expressing here. Uh, the tense here uh, gives us that idea, that he's referring to sanctification in chapter 4. Verse 1, he will say this, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And he goes on here in this, this, this text, and he moves on down until he tells us once again what he's going to command here, to fervently love the brother. And the idea is that it is a progression in our development as believers. It's, it's, it's speaking to sanctification. In Second Peter... Excuse me. Chapter 1, verse 12. He tells, he tells us there, he says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. You have been strengthened in the truth which was presented to you. That's the idea here. That's, that's the progress that he's talking about, of, being, of developing ourselves in, in purity or being sanctified is the idea. Peter, uh, uh, Peter uh, uh, is talking about that post-conversion growth. He says obedience. First of all, he calls us to obedience. Uh, obedience is used 15 times in the New Testament. It's, it can... But it's never directly used to talk about initial salvation. In verses two and in fourteen, it's talking about it's talking about obedience and conduct. Look at verse fourteen, where he says, "As obedient children, not being form, conformed to the former lust, which you had, uh, which were yours in your ignorance." Uh, it's it's about conduct here. Is what he's talking about. Uh, their conduct is one of obedience. That's the that's what he's trying to trying to express. And then he says, purify. 
this uh, this uh, this particular word, uh, when it's used as it's being used here, it 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 carries the idea of moral cleansing, uh, which has to do with those things which are subsequent to initial salvation. It it has the ongoing process. Uh, it could be equated to First John one nine. You know, we confess our sins. We we bring them to Him as as it's keeping keeping short lists with God. As keeping things current is kind of the idea. First John three one or three three. He says this, and everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. That's that's the the flow that He's trying to bring through this. Incidentally. There are some commentators who try to build this was the idea of talking about uh, uh, religious ceremony of the Jews. But a great portion of Peter's audience was Gentiles. They would have known nothing about that. So this is not talking about any kind of ritual cleansing. It isn't talking about going through any kind of ceremony. This is talking about how we live. That's what he's that's what he's talking about here. The context is calling us to holiness in verse 15 and he sees that as a purifying of, of obedience. It's an active response to the call. That's that's the idea here that that Peter's trying to express. And he says since you have been obedient. Uh, he's talking about believers here. He's talking about those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And incidentally, just kind of incidentally, in initial salvation, you really have no part. Uh, There is no, you are not the active agent in initial salvation. Uh, God is the whole agent in initial salvation. He is the one who calls. He is the one who saves. He is the one who provided the salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is very clear on that. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Uh, not, of boast, uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. Second Corinthians. Oh, I've got it written down here. Sorry. Second Corinthians. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the flamelant of the flesh and spirit, purify, purifying holiness in the fear of God. That's what, that's what Peter's talking about here in this first part of this text. He's talking about, since you have done this, This is where you are. This is where you are to live. This is where all of us are to live. Since we have been obedient to the truth, purify your souls for a love of the brethren without hypocrisy. That's that's what he's saying here. That's the that's the concept that he wants to bring through here. Second Peter it talks about this this uh, as an inward spiritual uh, uh, cleansing is the idea here that is, that is going on in second peter uh, chapter 2 verse 8 he says this for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds and he's he's talking about lot here and he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah in the context and what he what he is saying to us is we living in the presence of sin should be tortured by it it should it should affect us inwardly and so he's calling here for moral purity is the, is the idea that uh, within believers. And he says you've been obedience to the truth, which basically uh, refers to faith. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, and it results in a love for the brethren. Uh, that's the idea. It results in a love for fellow believers. We who were once not a people are now a people. 
That that's the idea that that uh, that Peter wants us to understand here. He's called us into a family relationship. In fact, the word here is Philadelphia. Uh, for love, phileo uh, love, brotherly love, love of brethren, uh, of the brethren. That's the, the idea he, he wants us to understand here. And he says that that love is to be without hypocrisy. It's not to be two-faced. It's not to be, oh, he's a really nice guy and I like him a whole lot. And then when he walks away, what a crumb bum. It's not that kind of thing. It's, it's not that idea. It's the idea that we truly Love one another. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't occasionally conflict. But nevertheless, I mean, I have two brothers. I love them dearly. But we've butted heads. <laughs> In fact, every fight I ever had as a kid was because my brother, who was younger, started a fight with a guy who was older. And I had to step in. He was a troublemaker. But anyway, he's still... <laughs> Uh, but it, but nevertheless, nevertheless, the point here is that we are to be obedient in the truth. Uh, that is, we are to exercise faith, which has as a as an outcome a brotherly love. That's what he's saying here. He's saying because you're just because you're saved, we should love our fellow believers. That that's the idea. Uh, that's that should be expressed. In loving your fellow believer, that's that's the idea that he wants us to understand here. And then he's and, and he and he says he says this is a love that is affectionate, uh, and it's a result of having been having been having been obedient to the truth, because you've been saved, because you've come to know Jesus Christ, you love his people. That that's the idea. That's the idea that he that he expresses here. Uh, that's uh, that's part of the salvation process. But then he goes on. He says, "But you know, the reality of that is, it's not enough." And he says, he says in the final part of this verse, "Love fervently one another from the heart." This incidentally is the imperative. This is the command. He's saying, "Love fervently." He changed the word here. It's no longer phileo. It's no longer Philadelphia. It's now apagapo. It's the God love. It's the love that sacrifices. It's the all-out love, if you will. Uh, uh, fervently love one another uh, from the heart. Uh, this, is, this is a theme that, that runs through this text. In chapter 2, verse 17, he, he writes... Honor all people, love the brethren, fear God, honor the king. In chapter 3, verse 8, he is going to tell them, Now to sum up, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, brotherly. That's This word is incorporated here. Tender-hearted and humble in spirit. In chapter 4, verse 8, he is going to tell them, Above all, Keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sin. And in 2 John 3.23, John writes, And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of, the, of, of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He gave us command to do. Uh, this is the this is the command reinforced by Jesus, of course, in John, uh, but here uh, here uh, uh, by Peter and also by John the Apostle. Uh, fervent is an interesting word. 
the apagapo, of course, we've known that agape type love, the, the love that that gives, the love that sacrifices, the love that takes others into account uh, more than yourself. Even uh, the fervently that he added to this is a word that uh, it's a word that 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 speaks to physiology. It speaks to muscles, and it talks about stretching a muscle to its fullest extent. That's what it's saying here. He's basically saying you take this love as far as it'll go. That's that's what he's that's what he's telling him here. Uh, it's stretching it to the limits is the idea he wants you to understand. You know, I, I tell you, most churches that I've been in, there's always some some system of of trying to help people. They've been some of them have been smaller churches, and it basically is a need is known, and somebody just somehow comes out to meet it. I was really impressed coming here. You have an organized system here. An email goes out. And within, within a couple of hours, however many slots that are on there, it's filled. That's love. That's, express, that's expressing love to the limit. It's pushing it to the limit. Uh, that's, that's the idea here. That's what we should. That's what we should always see. That's the current. Cur- that's that should be the norm within the family of God. And he says, he says, and it's to be from the heart. That's the, some early manuscripts uh, add to this uh, the t- phrase from a pure heart or from a clean heart, which is perfectly. Right. That's the idea that is being expressed uh, in this idea. This is part of this sanctifying process that we love to the limit. And we do it with the full emotion of our heart. That's that's the idea. We put everything into it. The point here is that we are to grow in holiness. And that holiness should be expressed in a fervent love. That's 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 the that's the command that he's given here. Uh, it's it's this and it's it's a progressive sort of thing, yeah, a love that that is earnest, that is deep, and it's in, and it's strong. And you know, when there is conflict, when there is problems, Scripture also addresses that. Now, one of the one of the instructions to the communion table is that if you've got a problem with a brother. If uh, you've uh, had any problem with a brother, you're not to take the communion. You're to go correct the problem, then take the communion. That's part of the corrective measures. Uh, that's the first step of church discipline in Matthew 18, is that if I've offended you, and I know I did, I'm supposed to go tell you, I'm sorry. And if I was a, if something I did offended you, and I don't know I did it, you're supposed to come tell me. We keep it clean. We keep it short. We keep it up to date. That's fervent love. That's the idea he's talking about here. That's love stretching the muscle to the limit. That's 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 what he's wanting us to do, to understand as as we come to this to this part of the text. He moves on from there and he gives us the reason in verse 23. In verse 23 he says this, For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. Here's the reason that we're to love each other. It's because we've been born again. It's because we are believers in Jesus Christ, and we are to typify Him. 
That's that's the idea uh, in a nutshell here. He says, for you have been born again. He's already he's already mentioned that in verse in verse three. He spoke of being born again there. He's he's talking about the new birth, uh, the believer. <clears throat> That which the believer is passive in. Uh, through the spiritual birth, we have been born again. We've been saved. That's the, that's the idea here. This, this speaks to the full process uh, that went on when all those things, and there's a list a mile long. You've been redeemed. You've been regenerated. You've been, you've been set right before God. His anger has been turned away from you. You've been placed into the family of God. All of those things that happened initially when you were saved, those were all passive. What did you do? to do any of that. Nothing. God did it all. Uh, he did all of that. And he's saying that you've been born again. This is a, a result of having been born again. And he's, and he's going to tell us something about that here. He says, he, he tells us how that, how that took place. And, and now we have moved from that. We have been saved where we, when we were born again, when we were placed into the family of God, we are now in the process of sanctification. That's what he's been talking about in the first part of this text, in verse 22. Uh, and here, once again, he tells us, he uses that same verb tense, where he tells us that this uh, new spiritual birth was something that occurred in the past and keeps on going into the future. It's a one-time thing, but it keeps on going. It has lasting effect. <coughs> Uh, which is the sanctification process. Incidentally, you've probably said this. Uh, somehow in our world today, we, we feel because of all the, all the people that run around claiming the name Christian, uh, we, we feel we have to qualify it. And we say, well, I'm a born-again Christian. You, you realize that's redundant. <laughs> because there is no Christian that is not born again. Uh, they, they mean the same thing. Unfortunately, our world has kind of made a mess of that. Uh, but the reality is, if you're not born again, you're not a Christian. That, that, that's the reality. That's the reality here. Uh, and that's what this is indicating. He goes on to say, born again, meaning God gave you spiritual life that is new. And incidentally, without it, you don't enter the kingdom of God. John 3, uh, verse 3 in chapter and 5, uh, John speaking to, uh, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus tells him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's a necessary, it's a necessary, uh, necessary step. It is, it is that place where Jesus has redeemed you, where you have been saved. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, and he says, since you have been born again, not to corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Uh, it pictures the idea of faith here. It's demonstrated in the process of this new life. First John 5. First John 5, verses, at verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has this witness in himself. The one who did not believe in the Son of God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness which God has bore witness about his Son. And the witness is this, that God gave us eternal life and that this, this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have that life. That's, that's, that's born again. That's the idea here. And then, he, then he's going to talk something about 
this born again experience. And he's going to he's going to talk about it in the in the in a negative sense, first of all. And then he's going to give it to us in a positive sense. And the negative sense is simply this. You were not born of of, uh, uh, you were not not of corruptible seed. He's going to use it. The an, an agricultural metaphor here, or figurative speech. He's going to say this. He's, he's going to talk about seeds. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I come from a line of farmers. Uh, both of my grandfathers were, were farmers. Uh, my dad could grow anything. He's always had a garden, stuff growing all over the place. I can't grow anything. I'm a city boy. I grew up in West Los Angeles, and uh, uh, I can't grow anything. I moved up here, and I thought, oh, hey, things just grow here. And so I, I've tried a number of times to grow things, and uh, I've failed a number of times. My most successful plant ever was a tomato plant. <laughs> It was a volunteer that grew up next to my trash can. <laughs> the tomatoes were wonderful. The ones I planted? <laughs> uh, but at any rate, at any rate, so what I know about seed is what I read, okay? Uh, but uh, the fact of the matter is here is he says, we're not born of corruptible seed. Uh, that's the idea. Uh, a plant, in order to grow, the seed has to corrupt. That's 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 the bottom line. You put the seed in the ground and it stops being a seed at some point. It's it comes apart and it produces a plant. And and that's that's the idea. That's the illustration he's using. In fact, uh, Jesus uses this same illustration in John 12, 24, uh, where he basically says that the seed has to die in order for the plant to grow. That. Yeah. Why does he say we're born of incorruptible seed? Well, let me get there. (laughs) I'm talking about the corruptible seed now. We're not born of this kind of seed. That's not the seed we're we're born of. That's That's what he's telling us. This is not our spiritual seed. That's what he's saying. The seed God used to produce salvation in us is not corruptible. It's not that kind of seed. He goes on to say, positively, it's incorruptible. <clears throat> in interpreting Luke 8 and the, the parable of the sower in verse 11 uh, he tells us that the word of God is constant it's unchanging it regenerates it nourishes in 1 John 3 9 he says no one who is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in him the idea here is this incorruptible seed, God's seed does not have to dissolve into to producing a plant. It goes on. It's eternal. It stays. It's, and he's going to tell us what that seed is. He's going to tell us that it's the Word of God, ultimately. Uh, it's, it's a divine nature that's resident within you. That's what he's, that's what he's trying to let you know here. He's, he's saying, you weren't born like that tomato plant that grew up in my yard. He says, you're born completely different. You're born by an incorruptible seed, uh, a, a, a seed that doesn't change, a seed that is constant, a seed that remains. That's the idea here. A seed that gives life and nurtures life. And, it's res- and it resides within the child of God. And then Peter states, 
<clears throat> that it was by the word of God. He goes on to say uh, that this incorruptible seed is through the living and enduring word of God. That, that's what he's going to tell us here. He tells us that, first of all, it is living and it's enduring. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Familiar passage, I'm sure. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the word of God. That's the word that's been planted in you. It's capable of doing all the things necessary to produce the kind of life Jesus desires in us. That's, 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 that's the, the idea here. It's a living and enduring word. He quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 8, The word of God endures forever, and it's unlike the natural seed which corrupts. It's an incorruptible seed. And it is from the Word of God. And the Word of God here is just simply the fact that God has revealed Himself to us, and in that revelation He has let us know that He has provided salvation. And through the Holy Spirit He draws Him to Himself, and it's from the Word we are nurtured and we grow. This divine nature continues within you. It doesn't go away. It doesn't die. That's the idea here. This speaks to the security of our salvation because it's based in God and it's based in His Word. That's the, that's the idea He wants us to understand. And then He moves on. He moves on from there to verses uh, 24 and 25 where He gives us the contrast. And once again, He's quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. And, and He takes some liberties. He takes a couple of words. If you look in your, in your English Bible... Uh, you may see uh, a couple of words in Isaiah that are a little bit different from what it is in in Peter, and it's because Peter, uh, as a divine author, uh, chose to use a couple of words out of the Septuagint, and so that's okay. When he does it, it's still inspired, it's still right, and it's still the Word of God, but he does modify it just a little bit. But he says this, All flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the, the, flower, um, like the flower of grass. Uh, the grass withers and the flower falls off, but the Word of God endures forever. And this is the Word which was proclaimed to you as good news. So he says, first of all, he says, look, here's, there's, there's a contrast here. He says, Life is temporal. I think you all know that. We all recognize the fact that from the day we were born, we were on a process to the grave. You know, that's just the reality. Uh, Our lives tend to be a little bit longer than a grass and a flowers, but nevertheless, the point is just that. That's the illustration. We look out on this field, and it's covered with all this nice green grass. You know, you go up over after the rain in the spring, and you go up over the mountains, or you go either way to the coast. Everything is green. There's wildflowers everywhere, and it's really pretty. And then you go back in June, and it's brown, and there are no flowers. That's, that's the contrast that he's making here. He says, life is like that. The lifetime of man, however long it is, however long you may live, it has a terminal point. Just like grass and flowers, physical life. We're talking about physical life here, he says. It's temporal. It will terminate at some point. 
Psalms uh, 103, verses 15 and 16. He says, As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field. So the, so the flowers, when the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledge, acknowledges it no more. Uh, that's that's the reality of life. Uh, that's what he's that's what he's wanting us to understand here. He's, he's understanding there's a there that this this tit life that we currently live, this physical life that we currently live, is temporal. It has a terminus point. That's what he's wanting us to know. But in contrast to that. The word of God, which planted the incorruptible seed within you that caused you to be born again, that brought you into the family of God that you are to love fervently. In contrast to that, the word of God endures forever. That's what he tells us here. But the word of God endures forever. It's unchangeable. It doesn't it doesn't die it doesn't go away. It doesn't matter what anyone says about it. It stands. Uh, that's, that's the idea here. Uh, that's what he's wanting them to understand. In the Old Testament, the use of the, the, um, the word of the Lord endures forever. That word Lord in the Old Testament would, would signify the self-disclosed name to the covenant God, Yahweh. In the New Testament, it's the general designation for Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a text that speaks to the divinity of Jesus Christ. Uh, it, and it also speaks to, as Peter puts these together, it speaks to the unity of Scripture, both old and new. They, they teach the same God. They teach the same salvation. That's, that's some of the doctrinal truths that come out of this text. And basically he's saying here, he's basically saying he's talking about the divinity of, the, of Jesus who saved us. Uh, and, he, and, he, he, and, it's the, and he tells us the word of God is identical with the word of Jesus. That's, that's the idea uh, that he wants us to understand here. It endures forever. It's unchangeable. It's the same God through the whole Bible is the idea that he wants, wants expressed. Uh, and here, here uh, Peter says, tells to us that this word was proclaimed to us. That's the gospel, is what he is saying here. Uh, in fact, this could be translated literally. It says, the word of the gospel was preached to you. Verse 12 tells us, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which have now been declared to you through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is the same idea. He's expressing it again in just a little bit different way. He's basically saying, he's basically saying, this incorruptible seed that indwells you currently, that that does not is is based in the unchangeable word of God. That's that's where it stands, and it's it's the word of God that was preached to you. That's how you were saved. Uh, or in, through it you were saved is the idea here. Uh, you came to believe the gospel. That's the uh, that's what he wants us to understand. So he's come through this text and he's he's telling us here. He's saying, here's where we are. Yeah, you are saved people. You have been born again. This is who you are. Uh, since you have been obedient to the truth, uh, you're in the process of purification or sanctification, uh, which has produced within you a love for the brethren. That is true. 
It's a brotherly love. He says, but you need to go farther. You need to go much farther than that. The next step, or the next part of that, is simply this. You are to love fervently, apagapo. You are to love without any reservation, I think we could put it that way. Uh, You are to stretch that love as far as it will go. And he goes on to say, and the reason behind all of that is because of who you are. You are Jesus Christ. You belong to him. You are his people because you were born again. And you were born again of divine seed, not physical seed, but divine seed, which indwells within you. That's the idea here. And that seed came through the living, enduring God, the unchangeable Word of God, the consistent Word of God, the inerrant Word of God, and all the other adjectives we had to add because people kept redefining it. But those are, those are the things he, he wants you to understand. Uh, and, he, and he says, look, life is temporal, but the Word of God isn't. God is eternal God. And He, he stands forever. Uh, that's, that's the idea here. And he says, and this is the word of God which was preached to you. It's the same word of God. It was preached to you. It's the gospel. It's the gospel message. That's what Peter is wanting them to see here. As he's gone through this first chapter, he says, our holiness is demonstrated in obedience. And a big part of that obedience is we demonstrate the love of God toward our fellow believers. That's what he's calling us to. That's the command in this one. Love fervently from the heart. I got done early again today. Anyway, are there any comments or questions this morning? Let's close. Lord God, we, uh, we give thanks if we give thanks as we come to this text this morning. We give thanks that we serve a God who is unchangeable, who, who is consistent within himself, who, is, who does not get angry with us and throw us away, but a God who has planted his divine presence within us through his Holy Spirit, who has called us into the salvation that he provided before there ever was sin, before there ever was a creation, who set the plan in effect and has carried out the plan through Jesus Christ our Lord. And by his blood we come before you this morning and we are acceptable in your presence, though we have done nothing in ourselves to deserve it. And we thank you as we, as we look to this text and we just ask that we would be found obedient to the truth and that we would learn to love deeper and stronger, that we would stretch that muscle to its fullest extent, that your name would be lifted up, that you would be glorified, and all glory and honor would be to our Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we ask. Amen.